So this morning, if you would open to Psalm 119, and we will begin in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. So in the next four weeks, as I said, we're going to look at Psalm 119 together. What we hope for is the Lord to accomplish something in us over the next four weeks. And that's something that I hope that the Lord accomplishes in us is delight. That is that God will transform our affections in four ways. This week, our aim is that our affections will be oriented toward a delight in God as the giver of the law which brings about our fellowship and our flourishing with God. In week two, uh, we ask that God would turn our affections for the blessings God has for us in the law. That is, that we would find the light in God's blessings as they are expressed in his law. In the third week, we hope that our aim would be to ask God to turn our affections toward the light and the disciplines of the law. That we would delight in what the law teaches us to do and teaches us to be. And finally, that God would grant us delight in the law itself. That we would be those that find our delight in all that God has spoken to us in the law. That we would be those that find our satisfaction in the law of God. In other words, we ask that God would cause us to be lovers of the word of God. And all that he has to say concerning his perfect rule of righteousness. So lots of background to get us going here um, as we sang in that song, this is my story, this is my song. The song is a song to be sung. And when we approach the song, we must begin with this fact that it was meant to be sung. And not just sung, but sung with delight. And a song to be sung in its entirety. In the past, you've probably read Psalm 119, and you've probably approached this song because it's big, because of its enormity, it's the longest of the Psalms, by pulling out nuggets and finding these nuggets glorious. We find the nugget of Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. We can sing those words of the Psalm with great delight. But how can we sing with delight? Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out. 
Or verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. Or how about verse 150, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from their law. I think the beauty of Psalm 119 is that it is a song that is grounded in the reality of who we are, in the reality of the world that we live in, and most importantly, it is grounded in the God who gave us everything. So now, more back. So how are we to read this? How are we to read the song? Well, the song has an acrostic structure, which is to say that each stanza, each section, is eight verses long. Each section begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and therefore it has 22 sections. Each verse in the 22 sections begin with a corresponding letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So we need to ask ourselves three questions, though, as we approach the psalm specifically and our approach to the study of Scripture generally. Number one, do I understand it? Or, in other words, is my mind engaged? Secondly, can I feel it? Or, in other words, am I emotionally affected by it? Third, especially in the song, am I willing to sing it? Or am I willing to do what it demands of my life? Those are the three questions that we should ask ourselves as we dive into the Word of God, and specifically those things as we dive into this song, as it being a song that needs to be sung. So, I have one more thing to give you, and then we'll start. Then we'll actually be ready to begin. The writer of this song, he may have been a priest, a prophet, or a king. But one thing for sure that we see in the song is that although he can say that he loves the law of God, he has gone astray. Verse 67 and 176. In verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The thing that, that really grabbed me about studying this psalm uh, this week and last, and maybe the week before, it's been a, I've been in it for a while to try to get the gist of this, is that the psalmist is a sinner. The psalmist is a sinner who is being transformed by God's sovereign choice through God's word, by God's grace, and by God's mercy. And I, when I think of this, and I think of you, and I think of me, that this is yet another reason to sing this song. Because it might describe you. It might describe me. It might describe my relationship with God. It might describe me as a sojourner or a traveler in this world. Now I think we're almost ready to get started. But I couldn't help but my heart being drawn to the Gospel of John in chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. It says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That as we approach this song, as we approach the scripture, as 
you know, I taught, I, I was taught in, in school at Oloma, we taught all of these ideas about, you know, the, the authority of scripture and the inerrancy of it and all of those things. And I, I had a professor there say, well, how do you know? How do you know? How can you tell somebody that this is true, that the word of God is true? You know, do you, do you use all of those things that, you know, in my mind, what I know is this. I can know all of those things about what the Word of God says. But what I really know, what I really found out, is that as I opened up the Scripture, I've said this to you guys before, I'm saying it again because it is so true, but as I opened up the Word of God on the pages of Scripture, I met a person. And I met the person of Jesus Christ, and He is as real to me as you guys sitting here in front of me. That's what I know about the Word of God. And that, so that should be our desire, right? Is that today we meet a person. And the person of Jesus Christ. And what a glorious person He is for us. So, now, are you ready to begin? Are we ready to start? (laughs) All right. So I want to turn our attention this morning to just who the God of grace and mercy is. And who He is in His sovereign choice. And who He is... As, as the psalmist writes about his fellowship with the writer, that, that the writer of the psalm is in fellowship with God. And for us, I want us to dive in to see who, just who it is from this psalm that gives us life. Who is he? And let us find the light in him this morning. So as I said, I'm going to take us across the psalm in several ways. And I'm going to begin in verse 137 and 138. He is righteous. So the first thing to know about our God is that our God is righteous. In verse 137 begins, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. 138, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and faithfulness. So number one, he is righteous. Number two, he is our creator. Look at verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. He has created all things, and he faithfully sustains all that he has established. Verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Because of who he is, because he is righteous, he commands righteousness from those who desire to be in fellowship with him. Back all the way back to the beginning in verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. So because he has established righteousness in himself, he rightly judges. Verse 21. You rebuke the insolent, the cursed ones, who wander far from your commandments. Move ahead to verse 118 and 119. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. As I hear these words, as I study and read these words, 
I get a sinking feeling inside about myself. I wonder if you might get this same sinking feeling that in light of this holy, righteous God, I could say, like Isaiah the prophet said, woe is me. I am undone. I am completely undone because of who this righteous God is. And then my mind wanders toward Romans 3 in verse 12. It says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's the sinking feeling. But there's good news in this text, in this psalm. Because the psalmist wants to establish more for us about who God is. About who God is by his mercy and his grace. Let's look at verse 68. Verse 68 of 119 says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Even further ahead, look at 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Our holy and righteous God, by his sovereign grace, establishes a covenant with those he chooses. With those he is choosing, the psalmist establishes God as a life giver. Back to the text that we were first looking at this morning in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Verse 40, at the end of the text that we looked at this morning, again talks about God as a life giver. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. The psalmist is crying out to God, saying, I know where my life comes from, and my life comes from you. Give me this life. As he, as he looks at, at, at what I think that Paul was getting at in Romans 3, is that, that here I am, no one does good, and, and that includes me, and I'm not good. And I, everything I do steps towards death. Everything I think leads me down the road of death. I need life. And God, you are the giver of life. Verse 40, he says, Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. It is God who leads the psalmist in the way of the Lord. So we've seen so far that God is righteous, that God is the creator, that God is the giver of life, that God is the leader, that God is the one who leads us in his way. If we look at verse 35, it says, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. And how does God lead us? Well, the psalmist tells us how. God leads us. He tells us that God leads us through a change in us. His leading is through the changing of the heart. 
He leads the psalmist by changing the psalmist's heart. He leads us by changing our hearts. All whom God has established a fellowship with is those that God has transformed their hearts, our hearts. We look at verse 32. He says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. When you enlarge my heart. I think what that really, that sense that I get from the idea of having your heart enlarged is having God enlarged in our hearts. Is God bigger in my heart? God makes himself bigger to my heart. And he enlarges my heart toward him. It is God who leads us in that way. Verse 36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Not only does God enlarge our heart and change its inclinations, but it is God who turns our attention toward him and toward his law. In verse 37, he says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. See, his leading is to give us life. It is to turn our hearts, to turn our eyes, to turn our affections away from the things that we're naturally drawn to and drawn to him. The God who turns our hearts and our affections, he will also uphold us. The psalmist declares that the God who has turned his heart the God who has turned our hearts, the God who has turned our eyes and our affections toward him will also uphold us. In verse 116, he says, Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. In verse 117, he says, Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. This, the psalmist declares that the God who is righteous, creating, eye-opening, heart-enlarging, is the one who possesses salvation, the one who promises it to those upon whom he has turned him, turned toward him, and, and he is unchanging in his love for those whom he is granting fellowship with. In verse 41 it says, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. In verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. In this psalm, we see that steadfast love is used in connection with the word of promise. There's a word of promise from God that is connected to his steadfast love for us, his unchanging love. And God has pledged, according to the psalmist, to do us good. God has pledged to do us good because he is good. These are words of rescue. These are rescue words. They are words of covenant, relationship between God and us. And he's given us these words of rescue, these words of grace. How often do we think of the law as the law coming at us? 
belonging for us, the word of God being for us, that are rescue words. And since these words of rescue, they speak first of God's love and his covenant words of grace towards us. They're two-way words. They're not one-way words. We often hear the word of God and think they're one way that they come at us. But they're two-way words. When we hear words of law, we often shrink back and say, all of this is coming at me. These words of God actually, though, are drawing us near, the psalmist would say. In verse 151, he says, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. God not only commands, but he testifies, promises, judges, and instructs. God has commanded of us that which seems almost impossible. Doesn't it seem almost impossible when God commands, as we said in the beginning, that, that they be kept diligently. He commands that all of his testimonies, his precepts, his laws, his rules, they be kept diligently. It seems impossible. The psalmist declares that which God commands us to do as he teaches us. God is the one who teaches us how to do what it is that he's called us to do. In verse 7, it says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Verse 26, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. The psalmist declares that the judgments of God are covenant words of grace. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God is ruling the world in favor of his covenant people. That's what we need to know about the law of God, is that the law of God is God being the judge. He's right. He is the right judge. He is the right teacher. Right? But these things are coming in favor of those that God has drawn into covenant relationship with him. These rules, these laws, these precepts, is that God declares, this is who I am, and these are who my people are, and these are for you. These are for my covenant people. So I ask a few questions of us this morning. Is God turning and enlarging your heart this morning? Are you longing for God to draw near to you and to teach you how to live in fellowship with Him? In Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, God declares that, that God has drawn is, is what He has done, where He has been to draw us near to Him in the person of Jesus Christ. By Jesus' sacrificial death, and God, having raised him from the dead, has made a new and living way. For God has done what the law, in, in Romans 8 says, verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
So my second question for you today and for us is what must you do, what must we do to enter into covenant fellowship with God? Romans 10, 8 through 10 tells us this. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Additional questions for us and for our hearts this morning is, will you? Can all of us? Will all of us sing a song of praise to the giver of the law as he is the lover of our souls? Will we seek his word because they testify of him who gives us life? Will we do that? Will we be those? I want to end this morning in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These are all written that we might believe. That we might believe that God is who he tells us he is. That God is the righteous one. That if you feel really bad about the fact that you just don't live up to that righteousness, this song has, is full of good news about that. That God is good and he's given us covenant words of grace and relationship. That he, who is the judge, teaches us how to judge rightly and like him. That his judgments are for us. That, that these words of law are instruction. They are instruction for us because of his relationship toward us. They're not instructions to keep us down. They're instructions to draw us near to him, to bring us into relationship with him. I ask this morning, can we fall in love with the God of the Bible over and over again? That when we open up the word of God each time, this would be my prayer. This is my hope for my prayer. Sometimes I read it and all I get is just words, right? Sometimes maybe when you read it all, you get his words on a page. But here's the thing. Maybe this should be our prayer as we open up the word of God. God, as I read your word, would you turn my heart toward you again? Would you take my eyes away from worthless things and draw them to you? Would you help me to understand that all that you have given to me in the word is for me? That I would not just love the word for the sake of the word, but I would love the one who gave it to me? That you would draw my heart to love you. That you would not have me have my heart drawn towards what I can know and what I can learn. But that, that, that my heart is drawn toward the person of Jesus Christ who fulfilled and gave me everything. And that I would find life in you. That that would be my heart's desire is to love God once again in a very magnified and increased way. That is my hope. As we study through um, Psalm 119 over the next four weeks, is that God would be drawing our hearts to just love and to love all that He has to give to us through His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word, and I thank you, Lord, that you 
have given us this word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the ways of life. I thank you also, Lord, that in my inability and in our inability to live this out, that you are our instructor, that you are our teacher, that you are the one that turns hearts, minds, and our eyes away from the things of the world, the ways of our own desires, and you give us new desires. And our new desires are to be in fellowship with you because it is your desire first to be in fellowship with us. What an amazing thing that as we reflect that no one seeks after God, no one does, no one does righteous, but yet you are the one who seeks after our hearts. And you seek after us so much that you would change us, that you would change our hearts, that we might enjoy fellowship with you and give you praise for your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.